Did she find you on Wall Street and follow you home? Was she left at your door in a basket of loans? She's Toxie the Toxic Asset. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. Today is Tuesday, September 14th. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm David Kestenbaum. That was a song called Toxie the Toxic Asset. You heard at the top of the podcast. Written for us by listener Andrew Breton. It showed up one day on our Facebook page. Thanks, Andrew. Today on the show, episode number one. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> You're doing Star Wars now? Yeah. This here is our origin story for Toxie. We're going to fill in a missing chapter in Toxie's life that somehow we have skipped up until now. Our toxic asset for new listeners is something we at Planet Money bought as a sort of pet back in January. It's a piece of a huge mortgage bond, and bonds like these were central to the financial crisis. Our bond was created in 2005 during the housing bubble. Wall Street made it by buying up thousands of home mortgages all over the country, packaging them together and selling off pieces to investors. For a while, it was going great. In fact, we have a a time warp indicator today from Jacob Goldstein. Today's time warp planet money indicator comes to us from 2005, the year of Toxie's birth. And the indicator is 1,371, which is how many private mortgage-backed securities were created that year along with Toxie. So we had 1,371 Toxies. Just for comparison, this year, there have been a total of five, five new private mortgage-backed securities that were created through the end of August. Just five? <laughs> That's right? amazing. The, the baby boom is over. <laughs> but there are some new Toxies being born. Uh, being born, yes. Toxie, uh, I would not say. Uh, you know, one of these new assets was, was described earlier this year, and it was like ridiculously safe, the anti-Toxie. The homeowners had very low debt. They had very good credit, which, of course, is totally different than what these things looked like back in the day. Tons of them were full of subprime mortgages, and the market was huge. I mean, for 2005, all of the Toxies created were worth over $1 trillion, a trillion dollars. I mean, really a phenomenally large market, right? Uh, And by the way, I should thank the guys at Asset Backed Alert. They pulled together this data for me to talk about today. Ah, 2005. Those were the good old days. Thank you, Jacob Goldstein. Thanks, guys. So on with the show, Toxie's birth, chapter one in the life of our toxic asset. So, of course, we all know now that Toxie is a toxic asset and that she's caused a lot of problems. What's been interesting about learning more about the chapter one of her life is that if you read carefully, there are all these signs that this story, this whole idea of bundling mortgages together and selling them to investors, there were signs along the way that it wasn't going to end well. But most of the first chapter is about really happy times. And our story begins with a homeowner, or actually a woman who really wanted to be a homeowner. Her name is Lisa Liberator Kinney. She's a pharmaceutical rep. She's married to a police officer. And in March of 2005, she and her husband were in Florida doing what people all over the country were doing, looking for a home. You couldn't find homes at that time. So um, we got kind of lucky and felt very fortunate when we um, first purchased our house. Lisa and her husband started going to open houses, and there were always so many people at these open houses, and she was never fast enough. They weren't having any luck. So then she and her husband just started driving around, trying to find something, some home that other people hadn't seen yet. Um, We had bid on quite a few houses, and 
we would sign the paperwork and it would be taken right out from under you, you know, legal or not. We had it happen quite a few times because someone would come along and pay cash and pay more than the asking price. And you could, you just couldn't find a home. And I, it would go up for sale and you could be in there that hour and it would still get taken out from under you. So when that didn't work, Lisa and her husband moved on to a new strategy. No houses available? Fine. They would build one. All they needed was some land. But even that was so competitive. There were so many people looking to buy land that the owners were doing lotteries. You know, you just put your name in and, and you hoped that it got drawn out. Um, so to purchase any land and even build a house, it was all by lottery. And they never won the lottery. Lisa and her husband did eventually find a house that they liked on East Dover Drive in 2005, and they jumped on it. They got a loan from the local bank. But that loan is no longer at that bank down the street. It got sold to Wall Street, and it got thrown into a pile with thousands of other mortgages and put into a bond, a bond that you all now know as Toxie. Lisa is one of the homeowners in Toxie, although she didn't know that until just last month when she read about our Toxie project in the local paper. It sounds so foreign when you hear it on the news. And it doesn't sound real. But then when you're a part of it and you kind of follow along, you're like, okay, now I can see how that happened. Did you know that it ended up in one of these things? No. And, and you know, you just think, hey, I'm, I'm buying a home. <laughs> but, you know, on the other end, they, they just turn around and sell you to somebody else. And then you kind of float out there to the best, you know, whoever wants to buy you, apparently. It's hard to imagine it now, but this was a time when Toxie was beloved. Because Toxie and all of her mortgage-backed security pals had a wonderful way of connecting people who wanted to invest money, big pension funds and hedge funds, with people who needed to borrow money, like Lisa. Back in 2005, everyone loved Toxie. Wall Street loved her. The people there were collecting fees every time they put one of these bonds together. Hedge funds, pension funds, insurance funds loved her because these bonds were supposed to be safe and they paid a decent return. And home buyers loved her also because they got to get a nice low-interest loan to buy a new house. So all of a sudden, there are oceans of new money moving into the real estate world, available to a large portion of the public who wanted to buy a home. And that is why every time Lisa looked at a home, there were so many people to compete with at all the open houses and all the lotteries. They were just mobbed because of this. So, Hannah, remember how we said there are things in this chapter that, in retrospect, look like really heavy-handed foreshadowing? For instance, I'm looking at this chart of housing prices in Florida, and in 2005, they are shooting up like crazy. A house in Miami, for instance, over just the past three years before, the average house would have increased in value by 65%. And if you, like Lisa, are going to open house after open house, the stories that you are hearing there are even more dramatic. It was actually, you know, exciting for most people because people were like, yeah, I bought my house two years ago and now it's triple. You know, it's worth triple what it was worth. Do you look back and say, oh, it should have been obvious that was a bubble? <laughs> You know, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't know that you can ever tell. How do you spot it, you know? How do you know it's not just growing area and, you know, the time to get in on something versus, you know, this is going to burst and it's not going to be worth it at the end. How how weird would it be to, like, get in a time machine and go back? It, you would feel like everyone was on some sort of strange drug or something, you know? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I could probably, you know, shout at the top of my lungs of what was to come. And I don't think anyone would have paid any attention. 
you know, you think about it when everyone's working so much and they're making so much money, people don't want to hear about that. You know, it's the last thing they want to hear. And if there were talks of a bubble, it was like, ah, you know, if there is a bubble and if it does go, it's only just, you know, the market's just going to stop growing as fast or it's just going to, you know, the values will just remain what they are at the moment it bursts. Houses were going up all over the place. Developers were buying up citrus groves and putting in new housing developments and immediately selling all those new houses. But here is warning sign number two. A lot of the time, those new houses, they'd be bought, but no one would move in. So Tony Polito saw this firsthand. We went to talk to him. He's with a housing market research firm in Florida called Metro Study. And what they would do is they would do more than just look at the sales data. They would actually go out and see, is there a car in the driveway? Did someone really move into this new house? And a lot of the time, the answer was no. They were bought by investors. There isn't a profile of who an investor is. It's not a Wall Street type fund that's going out and buying a home. It was literally any mom and pop anyone that could find mortgage money going out and buying it. It could be an executive at a power company. It could be a dishwasher at a restaurant. All of them were out trying to buy homes in this marketplace. Not to live in. Correct. Just to buy them, flip them, make some money, and move on. These were some of the people who were making it hard for Lisa to buy a home. So Tony Polito says 30 to 40 percent of Lisa's competition were investors. So he told us builders would be building all these new homes and they'd get curious putting in air conditioner after air conditioner and more drywall after drywall. Is anyone coming? Because the houses kept getting bought as soon as they were built, but a lot of those air conditioners never got used. No one ever hung anything on the drywall or even opened the front door. They were empty in 2005 and they're still empty now. Absolutely. Um, A lot of those are older homes, three and four years old, that were bought during the boom time, never been occupied. What's it like to walk around those neighborhoods? Um, It's, quite honestly, a little scary. They're overgrown. In fact, I've seen newspaper stories down in Fort Myers where they had all kinds of big, large lizards living in these homes. There were stories of people just coming across all kinds of animals and vermin that are in these neighborhoods and areas. But the fact is they're unkept. They're not appealing. There's not a great chance of selling them for anything even near a market rate today. So you would think that Tony Polito and the folks at Metro Study who were going out and seeing that no one was moving into these homes saw this bubble forming. But they did not. At the time, what they told people who asked was that they expected some sort of decline in the housing market, but not a cliff. So how did everyone miss this? Well, Let's take a look at those warning signs. Warning sign number one was sort of that chart of home prices shooting up crazily. There were ways to explain that. For instance, you had Toxie, and Toxie was helping connect pension funds and insurance funds. People had money with homeowners who needed to borrow. So that was making it easier for people to buy homes. That was providing new money for people who wanted to buy homes. And that was going to push the price of houses up. Okay, so warning sign number two, investors were buying homes, but they weren't moving in. They weren't living in them. Well, okay, but they had this story that they were telling themselves, which is that people were going to move to Florida. You know, didn't you hear point one? Everyone was going to have all this money to buy homes, and then they were going to retire in Florida. 
Tony Polito says this is a story people were telling themselves. Everyone was going to come for the sun and the coastline and the easy life. But then he turned to his laptop and he pulled up something really chilling. I want to show you something. This is just an aerial photograph, you know, photograph of one area of Charlotte County. This is really eerie. Tony pulls up a mapping program on his laptop, and we're looking at an aerial photo of a neighborhood. And we're basically looking at a different kind of warning sign. This is a warning sign that people in Florida didn't have to add up data about rising home prices. They didn't have to count how many people at an open house were investors. All they would have had to do to see this warning sign would be to drive a couple neighborhoods over, get off the highway at probably a, a rarely used exit, and open their eyes. The aerial photo shows what looks like a typical Florida development, you know, cul-de-sacs, little winding roads arranged in row after row after row, except there are no homes. There is nothing. And this is not the wreckage of the 2005 bubble. This is from 1970. These were lots that were put in in the 1970s. A lot of this was general development and developed in the 70s, part of that come to Florida flying by, buy land cheap in Florida. So this isn't the first time this kind of thing has happened in Florida. Yeah. It, the difference, though, in the past was it was the land development side. This time it was actual homes being built and being speculated upon. So so these are like houses, these are streets that have been named and put up uh, exactly where you'd expect like identical house after identical house but they're just trees there no one's actually built on them yeah. it's weird it's weird it's like a grid for the suburb but there are no houses put on it and that's why there is a hundred plus year supply of lots in Charlotte County that's a hundred so plus years supply yes in fact it's probably over that now I, I, that's so creepy I can't imagine what it's like to walk around oh that one's nothing you had to come down in Lehigh Acres, actually some of these streets have been there so long with nothing going on, you can see trees growing up in the roads. Tony told us in the 1970s, developers advertised these places as having playgrounds and schools. In the 2005 boom, they were advertising golf courses, sunshine, and wheelchair ramps. The funny thing is, it was still the same target buyer. It was the baby boomer at that time turning 25 to 30 years old as opposed to turning 65 years old now. It was the same exact person. (laughs) A lot of it was marketed towards that same age group demographic back then that they're still marketing to them today. She's a complex lady. She's sketchy, she's shady. And triple A ready, she ain't. She's way on the water. They broke her, you bought her. The tarp never caught her. How great. So, Hannah, we've been asking a lot around here why do we suck so much at spotting what, in retrospect, seem like clear warning signs of a bubble? Is this just some bad movie that we're going to replay every generation or so? It seems like a particularly appropriate question now that Toxie, our toxic asset, is nearing the end of her life. We can tell Toxie is sick because the last couple months we've gotten payments for zero dollars and zero cents. So the way it works for us as investors is that there are 2,000 or so homeowners whose mortgages are in Toxie. Every month they make their mortgage payments and we get some part of that in a check. Although the last couple months that has not been happening. We got zero dollars and zero cents. Lisa Liberator Kinney is still making her payments, but more than half the homeowners are not. And a lot of the homes are getting taken over and sold 
for a loss. There are a lot of losses. So now that we have covered the first chapter of Toxie's life, the only Toxie chapter left is the last, and we would like your help in writing it. We plan to remember her with a sort of ceremonial podcast next week, and here's what we want to know from you. How do you think Toxie should be remembered? Like, what, what would you say at her funeral? You, you can send us a couple lines at planetmoney@npr.org, Or you can call a special Toxie memorial hotline we've set up. That's 202-408-1271. 202-408-1271. And you can see that aerial photograph of named but completely unoccupied suburban streets in Florida on our blog, npr.org. Slash money. I'm Hannah Jaffe Walt. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Was digging in deeper. You wanted to keep her, but couldn't. For all of you cursing, there's no reimbursing. There's no way of nursing her back. Our taxi will perish. We'll look back and cherish before things were bearish and black. It's taxi, the toxic. Asset. She's telling a risky mortgage basket. It recently dawned you may.